Hi, and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with AJ Lamarck. This is an episode that I thought I had lost, but I found on my computer's hard drive and I thought it was so good that I needed to share it with you. AJ is an excellent comedian and is now doing a lot of articles on his website. Um, I think they're called AJ Remarks, possibly, uh, but go and check them out. Uh, I enjoy AJ very much as a human being and as a performer and as a hub for community, which I think is a really valuable thing to have in comedy. Uh, there's not a lot of comedians who are community minded. So when you come across them, it's a real delight. Uh, what else? I thank you, everyone who supports this podcast uh, via Patreon. Patreon.com slash Alice Fraser is a place to go. I do weekly salons. I do weekly book clubs, which involve no research. Uh, so the thing about book clubs is I will join a book club with the best intentions in the world and then fail to read the book. My book clubs are not like that. We read something together at the beginning of the book club and then we discuss it. So it'll be a short story or a poem or a small video or, or something like that, piece of a larger text, and we engage with that. Um, so it's a, it's a book club for people who have not got a lot of time or who have ADHD or otherwise um, haven't got the time to do homework for a book club. And I also do my weekly writers meetings where we sit and we write together and then we have a workshop. If you enjoy working with someone, if you're working on something and you would like to have a group of people who are supportive, you can do that. I also have consultations. If you go to calendly.com slash tea with Alice and book in a consultation, I do one-on-one -on -one consultations for whatever your creative thing is. If you wanted, if you've ever wanted to bounce your ideas off me one-on-one -on -one for a little while, you can sign up for a consultation. I have promised I'm going to be so much better in these about plugging all of the things that I'm doing because occasionally I think I'm not doing anything and then if I list them like this I think well actually I'm doing quite a few things. My show Twist uh, will be at the Edinburgh Fringe for the whole of August. It's a show that I'm very proud of and I think it will be the last solo show I do for a little while. So if you've wanted to see me if you're in Edinburgh, Twist uh, is the place to do that. That's at the Underbelly Bristow Square at 8.30 p.m. And I have a book coming out. I have a book. It is called The Dancy Lagarde Reader. You can go to unbound.com if you would like to pre-order a copy. It is funded on pre-orders and we uh, I think we're about 170% funded. So you do not need to uh, support this. It is already going to happen. But it's if you would like a copy of the book, The Dancy Lagarde Reader. It is a real book about an author that I made up for a fake ad section on a podcast that I had set in an alternate dimension that it was a spin-off of The Bugle, a podcast known for its bullshit. And I just am delighted at the fact that something that has become, something has that's so concentratedly silly that it has manifested into reality. Basically, it's, it's incredibly joyful for me. Uh, and if you would like a copy of that, that's unbound.com. And then you type in Alice Fraser, because I guarantee you, if you try to write Dancy Lagarde, you will spell it wrong the first time. Uh, mainly because it was an audio, it was an audio joke, and I gave I gave Dancy Lagarde the spelling that made me laugh when I was reading it, and now I have to actually put it into the world. That's all. That's all the rambling. I know it's a lot um, of of plugging, but I hope you enjoy listening to the conversation that I had, which with AJ Lamarck. Even though it's a little bit older, I think I was jet lagged at the time, but. Uh, and I'm just coming off not doing Tea with Alice for a while, but I still think it's a fantastic conversation. I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed having it. I will talk to you again next week. You're having Tea with Alice. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Who are you and what are you drinking? 
My name is AJ Lark, and I am uh, drinking Earl Grey with milk, which is pretty scandalous in the tea community. <laughs> yes, because bergamot and milk are not um, natural bedfellows, I would say. No, it's, it's a fruity tea technically, but it has all the, it feels like a black tea to me. It has all the qualities, but a slightly sweeter taste, yet um, apparently it's not allowed. But I break the rules because I'm a rebel. Um. <laughs> Look, I am a tea fan and not a tea snob. I am a big believer in drinking your tea however it suits you. Uh, mm. You know, I, I feel like there's a certain point at which you can take an enthusiasm for something into sort of judgmentalness of other things. Yes. And I just feel like that takes the fun out of it. Why? I, all sort of fandoms that are exclusionary um, sort of frustrate and confuse me because surely if you like something, you want as many other people to like it as you do. But actually, I don't think that's true of some people. Some people want a sort of an exclusive club where only they get to enjoy things and only the things they enjoy are the right things, you know? I think it's an interesting um, analogy to like bigger power structures, right? Because if you think about a population, you have people in charge and they generally either have more wealth or in, in, in some cases have more knowledge and knowledge equals power. And I think when you have community groups, whether that's around a show or at like a sommelier wine vineyard thing or a food, whatever it may be, you have the same power structures where if someone knows something more, they, I don't know, there's a sense of ego that's associated with being able to demonstrate said knowledge and inform others, like the prescriptive way of doing things. I think maybe there's a, a parallel between those two. Yes, it's sort of, um, sort of uh, perpendicular to another thing that I find very frustrating, which is the inability for people to have something be normal without mm. it being normative. So that you can say, like, why can't you just say most people are like this, but some people are different. And that's like, it's almost yeah. like if you say most people are like this, then you automatically are judging anyone who's not like that rather than just going, oh, no, here's an outlier. How exciting. I love an outlier. My favorite, like I, I like to think of myself as an outlier. I enjoy an outlier. I don't see why an outlier is sort of a, a refutation or a rejection of the mm. main body of the thing like it's 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 and then it, like, it's, it's really interesting depending on like what structure you look at as well because then those outliers become splinter groups and <laughs> create their own communities and then they become the majority there's something about being in the majority i think people like like the recent election yes if you're a majority in a splinter group but then there's also some people who define themselves as other so much that any group that forms around them they immediately self-identify out of <laughs> it's again the power that comes with uh the ability to say i'm not with the norm but i agree like there are things that the majority of people do that some don't but majority of people will do um i think there's always an exception well there's mostly an exception like most people will use their lungs to breathe, but there is a small population of humans who, um, through whatever um, circumstance, are not able to do that. Maybe they're on ventilators, maybe they have assisted breathing, but generally, most people will use lungs. And yeah. yeah, it's right, it's even a bit taboo saying that, because you're like, well, is that an ableist comment? Am I being ableist? Like, no, it's, it's No, because it's only, if you think it's a, <laughs> only if you think it's bad or wrong yes. to breathe in a different way. Is So that, that's the kind of the frustrating thing, because the moment you say something's different, people assume that means it's bad. And that's one of the things like particularly yes. in Australia that I find very frustrating that anything that is different, 
Like I, I occasionally get people coming to my so shows and saying, oh, what a great show. It's nothing. It's not like I've anything I've ever seen before, but I liked it as though that, <laughs> as though that, as though it weren't different on purpose. Like as though that wasn't the point of it. Like that, like I accidentally did a show that was different from other shows. And I'm, I'm realized this sounds very egotistical, but like, I find it so frustrating that the idea that it's different is necessarily something that I need to be excused for rather than applauded for. Yes, it is. It's, 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 it's very interesting when it comes to shows because ultimately, depending on your, uh, on your philosophy of thinking, either every idea is brand new or no idea is brand new. You, <laughs> I mean, all, you know, stand-up shows will relatively be the same. We rely on the same mechanics to make an audience laugh. It's just, I suppose, the order and the pattern and the, the rhythm and the other accoutrements um, in which you package that. But ultimately, you know, there's an element of surprise and, and tension and build-up. So, i.e., most stand-up shows which define themselves as stand-up, not different at all. But what they experience is different or how they feel is different. And I think that's much more introspective than it is about the, the show itself. It's like, your show made me feel like this and that feeling is different from me. Therefore, it is different. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, uh, what are you wrestling with? What have you been wrestling with? Ah, what am I wrestling with at the moment? I am, I'm in a limb, not a limbo. It's a good limbo. I don't know what the good limbo version of that word is, but um, I was uh, tussling between a lot of good opportunities that have come up and are coming up this year, but not consistent enough to get some sort of base financial income to be stable. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm in this in-between bit where it's like, I've got a lot of things planned and going here or doing that thing. And I'm away for that day or that weekend doing projects, which is awesome. And I'm, I'm very privileged and, and blessed to have that going on in my life at the moment, but also I need a job around that <laughs> to pay things called bills and, and utilities and <laughs> all of that stuff as well. And so I've been in a bit of a thing with my job at the moment and, and chatting, being like, hey, I've got all of these things coming up. Can we talk about flexibility and <laughs> how we can make it all work? I'd really and they've been they've been really great about it, but it's you know, that that pressure to be like, oh no, like yeah, you, I'm it's start, starting to feel like this isn't your priority and you're going, yeah, yes. Yeah. It isn't. That's why. But also, keeping body and mind together is is your priority, right? <laughs> you've got to pay your bills. You've got to eat some food. So, how are you kind of negotiating your way through that? Like, what's your kind? Of, what's your hope for that? Hmm. I'm I'm hoping that as as more of these things eventuate and and become in the world, because as as you know, there are things that you do sometimes, and they don't become in the world for a long time or a while. And you're like, well. If it did, this would be very helpful to get other things. But um, so they're kind of, hopefully they'll eventuate uh, through the course of the year and that will help build a bit of momentum towards getting more of those things. Um, and I, I believe I'm now just a greyhound in a, <laughs> a race to the rabbit, which is uh, financial disability in the arts. But um, I, I'm yes, I, I'm kind of navigating that and just kind of, being honest with all well, all stakeholders involved let's say you know because my job of um they they reached out to me because my work in arts marketing so um i've they've been really great being like well we we wanted you for a reason so you know it's not just like some jobs has gone oh you've applied for it we can get you and 20 other people to replace you tomorrow so we have no need to to want to work with you um, so there is that element, but they've been really supportive in just kind of being like, okay, we totally understand that, like, as an artist, you want to go and do these awesome things and um, 
go with your career and, and help it grow. Um, but also, if you can offer us a baseline consistency, we can we can we can marry the two. Yeah, it's a tricky. It's a very tricky thing, particularly in Australia, to build a mm. career that is solely in the arts. And well, you can do it in the arts, but if it's solely the thing that you love the most, you know. I think that's a very difficult thing to do. And it's one of the reasons why I'm currently in the UK, but you left the UK and are in Australia. I did. So how are you, how, how do you feel about that? That was, I was actually talking to someone um, recently about this, a producer, cause they had a similar question. They were like, why? Everyone from Australia goes to where you're from. Why on earth would you <laughs> be a comedian and go the other way? But it's interesting because I think what Australia lacks in size it also lacks in size in terms of the career ladder, which means uh, that competition is smaller. The first job I got, not a comedy job, but um, a, a general administration office job um, was as a graduate for the Opera House uh, in Sydney, the Sydney Opera House, uh, which is you know, a massive institution, very prestigious. A lot of people would have gone for that. Um, and I was very fortunate enough to get it. But the equivalent in the UK, like if I went to the Royal Albert Hall graduate program, I would be competing against Oxford's finest, Cambridge's finest, all of the top universities in Europe. All of those graduates would have been en masse applying. My uh, chance of getting that role, slimmer. So there is this sense in Australia that yes, it's a smaller population and there's less competition, but the chance if you can get on the ladder, it's easier to get up the ladder to, to slide across from my perspective at least. So that's a really interesting thing. I think um, what you are benefiting from in part is outsider privilege, which is one of the reasons mm. why I'm over here. So we've kind of <laughs> both swapped and got the same thing um by proxy which is you know in australia it's not the problem is that the pie is a smaller pie um it's yeah. not just that you're a bigger fish in a smaller pond but there are fewer people going to events there's less funding in the arts and mm. so on and so forth but as you say you are you know you're an exotic outsider and i'm an exotic outsider here and so there is something where people can't pass you um and by pass i mean p-a-r-s-e like they can't read mm your history in your face or in your accent mm. in the way that they would be able to in your home country. And so you get oh, a sort of a pass, P-A-S-S, uh, where they <laughs> give you the benefit of the doubt, which is sort of what you need in any job situation. All you need is the benefit of the doubt and then you can present yourself as you yeah. would like, rather than walking in and opening your mouth and they go, oh, I know who you are. Yep. That's sort of the last thing you want. Or, I mean, some people, that's their whole <laughs> shtick, right? Some some people, yep. they want to step on stage and be immediately recognised for what they are, and that's that's their thing. But for me, certainly, that's not what I want. I'd, I'd rather kind of mm. be taken on the terms of my work rather than yes. on who they think I am and whether they think that thing is funny or not. Yes, it's really interesting. I think we had this conversation... I, somewhere between the lockdowns in Sydney. I can't remember when it was precisely, but it was a while ago. Um, and we were chatting about your perspectives um, doing comedy in London as opposed to doing comedy in Australia. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we got on the topic there. In Sydney, you said there was this pressure for comedians to get on stage and then self-identify within the first minute or two. I am X person. <laughs> this is who I am. This is, this is why I... I am this, this figure, I, was, this I think person, I was probably a little shape. bit harsher than that. I said, particularly as a female <laughs> comedian, you need to tell them yeah. in the first 10 seconds why they don't want to fuck you. Um, yes, there we go. <laughs> why they wouldn't want to fuck you yes. anyway. 
and that's why they're allowed <laughs> to find you funny yes and you don't you don't and that's sort of a shorthand for a particular thing mm. where they want to put you in a box and I, I, I mean this goes back to the beginning of our conversation right people are very uncomfortable with things that they can't categorize and with yeah. outliers but I think the best and most interesting comedy comes from outliers comes from that outside perspective mm. comes from and it's interesting because at the moment there's this big trend and there's always been this to a certain extent there's a bit I'm not going to articulate this very well but there's a big fashion for coming on stage and saying this is who I am this is what I am and this is how yeah. my perspective of the world is shaped by what I am yeah and of course all personal art all self-expression art is a version of that but it feels reductive to me to have mm. that be too much of what you do to have it be the whole of what you do just being you know whatever it happens yeah. to be I'm a tall person and this is it's funny to look at the top of people's heads you just go yeah. well <laughs> Yeah, but also that you're you're a person, you know, you're not just a tall person, you're a person, you must have, I'm, I'm interested in the cracks between people's identities, I'm more interested in, in who you are than what you are. And that's a personal yes. preference, I guess. And I, I feel like certainly the, the real gains that we've made in kind of identity politics and, and getting diversity on the stage need to go need to take that step further beyond yeah. everyone kind of being the token thing that they are and that yes. being the room for the laugh. So you come on stage with your, I'm the this one. And then the next fan goes, I'm the this one. And then there's no, <laughs> there's no more content than that. Yes. I've seen shows like that and they don't interest me wildly, but I think they're important at the same time. Like I think they're an important transitional phase to people just getting to be people. Yes, no, I, I I agree, and 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 uh, you know when you watch a lot of stand up, especially back to back, as as you know both of us do, we we go to gigs, we're on lineups, we watch other people, you see a lot, and by default, you then have a, a larger collection or a a catalogue of jokes and people's jokes and styles that build up in your head, so you get a bigger picture than I think if you were just an enthusiast of comedy who goes to a few shows maybe a couple of solo shows a year, you go, okay, like I've seen a lot of difference. But when you see it back to back, you're like, okay, especially in Australia, there is a lot of that IMX. Uh, and I, it's interesting. I'm keen to get your perspective because you, you've moved around and, and traveled a lot more in Australia to do comedy than I have. Um, but do you reckon it's, it's anything to do with Australia being a, a new country in terms of um, its own art scene and it trying to develop its own style. Do you think it's an inherited thing? Is it, you know, something more that you see in America that's kind of bled in in terms of that? It's definitely partly American influence. It's partly mm -hmm. the current cultural discourse, which is homogenized across English speaking languages because of the internet of, mm. of identity stuff being sort of paramount and being sort of at the front of people's minds. At the same time, I feel like comedy and all art to a certain extent is a dialectic. It's a back and forth. It's a conversation mm. between itself. So you have, you know, you have take my wife jokes and then the next person comes along and goes, I'm not going to do take my wife jokes. And they do the next thing and then they do whatever racist accent jokes. And the other one goes, I'm not going to do racist <laughs> accent jokes. I'm going to do isn't your suburb shit and my suburb shit 
jokes and it kind of goes mm. back and forth and and ideally ideally it goes forward as well it's kind of a zigzag forward from yeah. one to the other and obviously that's a, a massive like oversimplification but i feel like the way it is at the moment is simultaneously as somebody as you say who watches a lot of comedy i i'm kind of tired of it <laughs> but mm. that's because i've seen a lot of it and i feel like it's also very important to kind of yeah get it out of the way that's going to sound really rude to a lot of really good comedians who are doing this kind of work very well but like i feel like what's next i'm i'm i'm, I'm interested in what's next without putting any value judgment on what is present mm. because i also think it's important i want to see what's next i want to know what the answer to this is and i hope it's not like right-wing offensive jokes <laughs> i hope that's not the answer please let that not be the answer i hope it's something more kind of rich and full and yeah. interesting and dynamic and and individualized and less less about groupy stuff and more about yeah i don't know i think it'll i think it will get there and i and i see it and i agree and i and i understand both perspectives as someone who started off doing that type of joke there is like a process it's, it's not a factory line because that makes it too like mechanical and and it's exactly the same experience for everybody which is not but there is a sense that you know you start off with i am this person here is my here's in, if you're not <laughs> bigoted like here's the punch downs on myself that i'm allowed to do um which society says i'm allowed to do at the moment and not you know get into any trouble so that's what i do yeah and that performs this function of going i am non-threatening i am this threatening yes. other in your mind or you you assume in a mainstream audience mm. i am a threatening other let me de-threat myself <laughs> you know like yes i'll show you how i'm funny <laughs> and not scary right that's a nice initial yeah. thing to do and important to get you in the door right then sorry to totally carry on no 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 it, it, it's true it's 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 a it's a, a social play as well but i think and again, I think overall, because of the lack of funding in arts, in particular, especially with comedy, and people go, oh, you know, there's a lot of money in comedy. It's true, and you can have money, and, and but there is a difference between funding and development and being able to put on a show and get money. And the thing I see, because I've sat in the theatre spaces a lot through virtue of being in arts marketing and arts administration, I've worked for different theatres, and that's my day job, my bread and butter to see when um, people get money to develop ideas and they bring people in and they workshop and they point at, at uh, logical fallacies, they point at narrative structures that don't go as far as they could or maybe go too far and need to be refined. There's a whole process in which playwrights enact and, uh, and the like in, uh, in the theatre world in Australia get to experience and develop that part of their brain and go, I can write a story about this, but what is the meaning? What am I doing? That is what I'm being taught every day by going to plays and being a part of these developments. But in the comedy world, we don't get development. We get write a show, put it on and figure it out. By the time you finish, it'll be great and we'll move on. And so you don't get this co like collaboration between artists about going, what do you feel about this subject? Why this, how that? And so we we rely on ourselves to make very observations within our perspectives and identity is the topic du jour, pretty yeah. much nine times out of 10 on, on media, on the news, on Twitter. And so you have those filters and it's very difficult to move them out of the way to be like, how do I feel that F costs are taking over and I can't pay with cash anymore? I've never really thought about that. 
really had the time to think about that. Let me analyze that. How do I feel personally? Do I like cash? Like, you know, we don't do that. We go, we make a joke about like, you know, I'm a millennial, so, you know, of course it beeps. Like, you know, that's a terrible thing, but you understand what I mean. It's, yes. You go for what's there because that's all we have in our periphery vision and our center vision at the moment. So this is one of the things that I think is really fascinating because on one hand, all comedy is a kind of a conversation with the audience, but the mm. really mostly you're asking them, is this funny? How funny is it? <laughs> and, or possibly is this like uncomfortably funny? You might be asking mm. them that. And then they answer by laughing or not laughing as the case may be. What I think is there is more room for us to talk to each other about each other's yep. shows and to have spaces yeah. for that. And I, I know that certainly that's something that you're interested in, right? Mm. Oh, I, I absolutely adore that. I, I'm very stimulated by the idea of questions and for provocation. And I think devil advocates is just lazy critical thinking, but just poking holes in ideas and going, you know, why, why did we establish this? Or why do I do that when I get on stage or... Yeah, you don't want a devil's advocate. You want uh, a mechanic to come and kick the tires. Someone who's on your side, not on the devil's side. Yeah. Someone who's on your side yeah. <laughs> to come and check the oil and kick the tires and and see if your thing drives. You know, I think you want that feeling. You do, and it's a conversation, as you say, between the audience and and in in lieu of an audience when you are writing by yourself or or, or you're doing the work before you get on stage. The next best thing is your community and that community of comedians who understand the art form enough to be like, in this position, I am playing audience and I don't understand that word you used. That word is complicated. That, that reference is too niche for me. I don't actually come from here. Ergo, I'm not going to laugh, which makes you feel like the joke isn't funny. The joke is funny, but maybe change to, you know, all of those things we, we swap out and we go, I know your style. I know that you could push this further. And we play that role. Speaking of which, uh, the other the other night you did a set and you said air controlled, um, which is ah. not what we say in Australia. We say air conditioned. Ah, <laughs> it creeps out. Okay, like sometimes a lot of people are like, oh my god, you're not from Australia until I say something like London, <laughs> and then they're like, ah, there it is. Uh, London, London, London. <laughs> but it's true. Those things that you don't pick up because. Why would you, if you're sitting by yourself in a room and you're like, that makes sense. You don't sit and comb for every word going, is it the, the right word? Is it A or an? Is it? <laughs> well, also, uh, it's one of those things kind of on a broader spectrum is one of, the, one of the unfortunate things about what you see with like, let's say centrist podcasters. Um, over the last few years, uh, there's, a, there's been this like pipeline developing between centrist podcasters sliding towards the alt-right or sliding towards QAnon or sliding towards the right wing, mm. right? And they blame it on the left becoming increasingly irrational. But I think what has actually happened is you have this group of university-educated men who are used to this idea of a dinner table conversation or a debate where you make your points and then someone else comes in and picks holes in it and you together move towards the truth, right? That's the whole point yeah. of, of that thing. But now they will say their point and it has holes in it, as all points do, and has blind spots, mm. as all points do. And instead of, uh, you know, a man with a pipe going, oh, interesting point, Robert, but I think you have thousands of people yeah. of varying levels of sanity 
coming at them <laughs> en masse. Yeah. And so they cannot, from that wave, and I, you know, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt here that they are not malicious mm. And I think it's important to try and give people the benefit of the doubt. But I, yeah. I do think actually there are some, you know, people who are trying to find the truth in, in among all of the self-indulgent assholes. Um, they can't pick out the counter argument from that mass of, of violent, angry criticism. Mm. And so they become increasingly entrenched in their flawed position because they have no good faith interlocutor who will pick it apart. Yeah, you know, and for people who are often, you know, libertarians or whatever, they do rely on other people to kind of um, figure out what they think. And so they get this massive wave of criticism that they cannot understand, they can't deal with it, they can't process it, they can't pick out the good points from the hate. And so they end up shifting slowly, slowly further and further yeah. towards the right, because the right are the only people who are having a conversation with them. Yeah. And I don't want this to excuse <laughs> what I see happening with a lot of them, which is that they get very entrenched, very defensive, very angry, very radicalized. Um, but I, I'm interested in that mechanism because I, I definitely want to avoid having something yes. like that happen to me when oh, I, I yeah. make, when I make my mistake whatever it happens well, I think, to be. I think there's just this, I think it's always been there, but I think especially in the last like 20 or odd years, maybe more so, but um, there's most of the years that I could speak to. Um, there's a move that uh, being wrong is, is uh, the most heinous social crime one could commit. And it doesn't matter about the, the, the length in which you were wrong. It could be that you, you know, you thought Harry Potter's wand was this wood from the series and it was actually this wood. And then now the community all jumps on, like you say, and then they go, oh, it's actually blah, blah, blah. Your tweet was wrong. And we're conditioned to react and go, no, like we, we're, we're shocked into a uh, fight or flight, or um, I think there's a new one. There's fight, there's four of them. There's fight, flight, um, freeze or feign or Fawn. something like that. Four, that's it. Um, <laughs> you know, so we're, we're forced into that, like, uh, survival instinct where we go no actually I don't if you read the first book it doesn't you know we go fight it we go we hide we delete the comment we but we panic and in that moment uh, you panic your mind shifts I, I presume there's some neuroplasticity involved when you have those survival instincts to then go yeah which way am I shaping and how does that if you do all of those steps on a daily basis especially as someone in a public spotlight you're gonna be moving in one direction or the other well, I mean, if we're going to be really like uh, crude about it, the more afraid you are, the more conservative you become, mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. be, and, and I mean, conservative in the small C sense, you want safety um, and safety yeah. in, is not changing. Ideally, you know, we, we go to somewhere safe and, and non risky. Um, it's it's very true. I, I think it's interesting. The other feature of that is that all time is um, one dimensional on the internet. So mm. the, the passage of time is erased and you can be wrong at any time in the past <laughs> and have it yeah. be present right now and having to deal with it right now, um, which I think is deeply unnatural. <laughs> like there's yes. something seriously bad about that. Not that people shouldn't be held accountable for things that they have done in the past, but that something that you said 10 years ago can be 
presented in exactly the same font, in exactly the same brightness, in exactly the same way as if you said it today. Yeah. And you have to deal with it as though you said it today, which is... And you have to ooh. process it. And it's, it's a horrific feeling. The internet is a, it's, it's a terrifying place. It's almost impossible for us to understand that someone else has a different set of information. Yeah. Like we are used to standing at the top of the same hill, looking at the same landscape and having an argument about what we both see. You say, I think that tree is a wolf. I say, no, I think it's just a shadow. And we can have that discussion. We can have that conversation. But it, it's almost impossible really to get your head around the fact that somebody could, with the best will in the world, be living in a completely different fact reality. Yes. They can have been told different things by their parents, different things by their teachers, different things by every single piece of information that they've encountered on the internet. They could be listening to different podcasts, watching different television shows. They can have never, you can have no common reference points mm. in a discussion and think you're having the same discussion. And so yes. it's very, very tempting to see ignorance as culpable because you just yeah. cannot believe that they don't get it because you assume they've seen the same things as you have. True. And it's like how we prioritize as well, even within those who have half the Venn diagram of ourselves um, and see half the picture that we do. They don't prioritize things in the same way. Someone is, yeah. you know, someone can be very people centric. They think about the other person's feeling as the foremost thing and they care little for the factual scientific correctness of it. Where someone goes, I was brought up in a very academic environment. My, I prioritize being correct. And if that makes you feel bad, I don't actually care or I care very little, but my priority is this. So there's, there's, there's like so many layers on top of all of those things. But yes, like, you know, I saw a, a poster on a bus one time when I first moved to Sydney and it was like, please don't push people. And I was like, who needs to be told not to push someone on the bus? And I was like, maybe some people do need to be told not to push someone on the bus. Just because I know not to push someone on the bus doesn't make it universal information. Apparently. Yeah, well, the, my, my big one was I went into a bathroom and they said, uh, smoking may harm your unborn child. It was just a poster that they had in the bathroom. And I was like, who needs to be told that now? In 2015, yeah. I think it was. Who needs to be told this? I guess there must be, not just there must be people, but there must be enough people that yeah. you need a public information campaign. And then, you yeah, you have this moment of you're like, oh, I'm living in a different bubble a different planet a different world I have to be yeah. more careful to like in comedy to build up the reference points that I can then turn back to to explain things to do the setups more carefully not just rely on the punchline that yes. that I need to establish my bona fides which I think is a lot of what identity stuff is doing is saying mm. I'm allowed to make this joke because I'm this person but I'm in yes. a more subtle way be like I'm I'm I care so when I mm. make this joke you need to know that I I care yeah. So that I, I'm not, I'm not being mean when I make this joke. It's a joke that's coming. You know, you know, you need to kind yes. of, I need to do those layers. Um, I have completely dominated this conversation. I'm out of practice with T with Alice. I apologize. <laughs> um, where can people find your podcast and support your work? 
<laughs> I've released a new podcast called Fluke with AJ Lamar. That's spelled F L O F, where I chat. Someone comes along with a particular interest or education or a particular specialty specialty area, and I just chat about it because I find interesting things interesting. Um, that should be on all podcasting platforms. And I'm AJ Lamarck. AJ Lamarck, uh, thank you for having tea with me. Sorry for talking over you. Uh, it was a real delight. Um, we also appeared on Wax Quizzical, Kyron Wheatley's podcast, mm. with AJ being the improviser and me uh, doing a quiz badly. Well, you did very well. Uh, I will be on tour <laughs> in uh, London and various places in the UK, also in Edinburgh. Find me on at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E. Where are you on Twitter, even though you don't use it? Um, Instagram. I'm at Instagram, AJ, that's the one. Yes, I'm at AJ Lamarck, L-A-M-A-R-Q-U-E on, on Facebook and TikTok and uh, Instagram. Yes. Oh, I don't I couldn't do TikTok. TikTok was a bridge too far for me. It was a lockdown hobby. Ah, there you go. Uh, all right. Thank you so much for having tea with me. Pleasure. Oh, do you know her or do you not? This stop is mistress that we have got. Thompson, it is her name, and she helps the doffers at every frame. Lovely rifles all.